After the sad news of the passing of Marilyn Lovell, we wanted to honor all the astronaut spouses. So today we're talking to some children of astronauts to find out what it was like for their non-astronaut parents. Yes, our two guests today are Jessica Carr, daughter of Skylab 4 Commander Jerry Carr, and Bruce McCandless III, son of Bruce McCandless II, who performed the first untethered spacewalk. Please keep letting us know your thoughts via our social media pages at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook, or via the contact form on our website. And please consider joining us over at patreon.com forward slash space and things. But right now, enjoy episode 158 of the Space and Things podcast. You're listening to Space and Things with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 158 of our podcast. Now, before we get started, I just want to thank those who responded to our Facebook post on like, pop on Monday, talking about our Patreon page. As we mentioned on the podcast, we're trying to get to 100 patrons by show 200 in order for us to try and make this show a little more viable to carry on making it. We spent a lot of time making this, and time is getting a little bit more precious, so we're trying to make sure that... That makes sense. We had 11 people sign up just after that one Facebook post, which puts us up to 65 people. So if anyone else would like to join, please head over to patreon.com forward slash space and things. There's plenty of reasons to do it. Bonus content, prize draws, free merchandise, and you help us make this podcast. Anyway, it was great to get such a good response from people. So thank you very much. We've got 40 shows left before episode 200. And now we only need an extra 35 people to sign up. So Thank you for all your support. Yes, thank uh, you. It really does mean a hell of a lot because we do want to keep making this. Absolutely. Okay, so let's crack on with this week's main feature. So as Emily said in the intro, last week there was some sad news in the world of spaceflight. Marilyn Lovell passed away at the age of 93. Marilyn had been married to Jim Lovell, the Apollo 13 commander, for 71 years. And their marriage is often held in high regard amongst us romantic folk. Of course, as we know, the first female NASA astronauts weren't announced till 1978, and the lives of the wives of the male astronauts have been portrayed many times in films and documentaries. So today we wanted to talk to some people who witnessed that lifestyle firsthand and find out a bit about what it would have been like to be an astro spouse in those early decades of spaceflight. So today we're joined by Jessica Carr, daughter of Jerry Carr, the commander of Skylab 4 from 1973 to 74. We're also joined by Bruce McKinless III, son of Bruce McKinless II, who had to wait a lot longer for his first spaceflight, which was on the Space Shuttle Challenger in 1984. Both Jerry and Bruce were selected in the fifth group of astronauts in April 1966, so the family had front row seats for the Apollo program. While we're sure that things have changed a lot for modern astronaut families, and if we get a chance in the future, we might do an up-to-date version of this discussion, but finding out about the family lives of astronauts during this key period of spaceflight history is something we find absolutely fascinating, and those family members should definitely be included in the bigger story of that era. Yeah, it's the first appearance on the podcast for Jessica, but you may remember Bruce joined us way back on episode 44 when we talked about his wonderful book, Wonders All Around, which is a must-read in my opinion, and it's all about his dad's life absolutely fascinating. Anyway, let's talk to Jessica and Bruce. 
time to shake off a case of the Thursdays and listen to Space and Things with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. So welcome, Jessica. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Now, uh, your parents became part of the NASA family in 1966 when your father was selected to be part of the original 19 astronaut group. Your father, of course, is Jerry Carr, the uh, legendary Skylab astronaut. So did you have any awareness at the time, you know, that your families lived in, in a kind of different bubble than other families or did everything uh, seem pretty normal to you? It, it, yeah, it's a great question. And everything was normal. I I, I didn't. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't understand that dad was something different than the other dads because the other dads worked at the same place dad did, right? Yeah. So no, and and I can tell you that my mother was very much want about making our lives normal and including us in things so that we felt like this is how it was supposed to be. I I literally had no idea what was happening. I was what I was two when he got chosen, and I think I was nine when he flew. I, I I just had no idea. How about you, Bruce? What's what's your answer? Welcome back as well. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, you know when uh, when when my dad and and uh, Jessica's dad, uh, I, I guess when they were uh, selected, it was 1966. I was only five, and really the only thing I knew was that I liked really big trucks. Um, <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of. Uh, space consciousness for me probably the whole awareness of the of the nasa thing didn't set in until i was maybe 10 and by then it was too late i mean i sort of missed all the all the good stuff and my my folks you know as i said in uh in 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 the book they were they were pretty anti weren't anti-social exactly but they were very wary of the whole uh nasa social circuit and and uh, for, for different reasons my dad was the uh, was the kind of person who, who just couldn't stand to, to to be still for very long, and and the the notion of standing around at a cocktail party with a Cuba Libre in his hand was was sort of like for him being dipped in an acid bath. He just you, you could see him getting <laughs> antsy, you know, antsier the longer he stood there. And, uh, so he didn't like that. And my mom was uh, beset by various anxieties related to you know her social standing and her. Uh, appearance and and that sort of thing and and she was always uh she was a very anxious person like me she was capable of being miserable in all sorts of different circumstances and she always felt like she was uh didn't measure up to the astronaut wives and and uh and and was inferior in some way and so tried to stay out of those uh those circles and and we had friends uh there in El Lago, as i'm sure the cars did too uh, who had nothing to do with the the space program and and they sort of kept my parents grounded i think we lived a couple of streets away from yep. Jessica and, and, and her family, and uh, they were in kind of a rough neighborhood in El Lago. We <laughs> tried to stay away from that area. There was, uh, you know, it's just the Lakeshore bunch. They were uh, they were kind of a different different crew. You had to be careful when you rode your bike wow. through there to go to the Utotum. Heck, <laughs> yeah, the Utotum, yeah, right. I already got about that. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think we had much uh, much awareness of it. You know, that that all sort of that all sort of came later when my dad finally got his. Got his shuttle flights, and and uh, the world seemed to you know, ride itself again. All right. So last week, uh, news broke that Marilyn Lovell, who was famously immortalized in the Apollo 13 movie, passed away at age 93. So she was portrayed as, as stoic during her husband's uh, perilous mission. Now, your father's mission was obviously very different, but um, how did your mother cope 
with the stress of being in this kind of, you know, public, unnatural limelight. The astronaut wives are a tight group. And I can tell you that she was never alone. There was always somebody with her, um, and especially Beth Williams. They were besties. She was involved in launches prior, right? They just kind of all leaned on each other. And I think, did she have a meltdown at some point? I'm sure she did. I can tell you the stress level got really high when we found out that the uh, splashdown was not going to be televised. Interesting. And we were not allowed to tell our father. So there is actually footage of us talking to dad when he was on the carrier and he's asking us about the splashdown and we're all kind of going, yes, really cool, dad. It looked really good. And you can see mom just kind of giving us a little bit of a look going, don't say anything right now. So she was remarkably good, but I think she had a lot of teachers she got to follow in the footsteps of some really phenomenal women that kind of showed her the ropes in how to handle stuff. I guess the big difference with your dad's flight was the length of it compared to those previous flights. So much longer, um, breaking a, all the records at the time. Yeah. So obviously that would have put a lot more pressure on your mum. I'm wondering whether the family of the crews were particularly close during that time. Uh, obviously, you said there was a support network and your mum would have had friends, but was were the three families very much together during the duration of the flight? I, I, I don't remember uh, correctly, but I don't think the Gibsons lived in El Lago. Right. And so the Pogues did. They lived right down the street. So there was absolutely that rallying with the three families, but I wouldn't say we were always together or always intertwined because it was a, you know, it wasn't a sprint. It was a marathon. It was a long time. I can say that I do recall hanging with the Pogues more than I do recall hanging with the Gibsons. And that might've just been geography, but we were together uh, at certain times and certain milestones, they would get us all together. But for the most part, it, I think it really was just the Pogues and us got together more than anything. Yeah, obviously your, your dad's flight was a lot later, Bruce. Uh, yeah. were, were you still even in Houston when your when your dad flew, or were you were you off in England at that point? I was over in your country. I was in I uh, thought so. England in 1984, so I, I didn't see much of what my mom. I know we're talking about astronaut wives here, and I don't want to uh, stray too much from that. So I didn't really see much of of her reaction to that flight, but I did, I was with her in 1990 for STS-31 when uh, dad and the crew uh, there w went up to deploy the Hubble Space Telescope. And, and you know, it was rough. It was sort of an exquisite type of torture to, to, to bring the wives out there to watch their husbands playing this game of uh, Russian roulette with rockets, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, STS-31 went up in 1990 and in terms of the sequence of flights after the Challenger disaster, there hadn't been that many yet. Uh, so that that memory was still fresh in everyone's mind, and it was tough on on my mom to 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 watch that. You know, as as I'm sure it was for Marilyn Lovell to watch when her husband went. Yeah, you know, I think it was four times. And not only do you have to watch because you're a good wife, but you have to look like you're uh, 
enjoying yourself or, or at least attentive and, and you have to look like you uh, know what you're doing and you're put together and that sort of thing. Because even at that time, there were there, there was at least some uh, press interest and national interest in, in, the, in the flights. So it was an odd experience, I think, to be uh, a wife of uh, one of the astronauts who are going up uh, on one of those big rockets. So. For sure. By 1990, with a family still... In when watching the the launch, were you still in the main viewing area, or were you taken somewhere separate? We were on a rooftop somewhere. I think we were, you know, it was still a situation where the the family was uh, was pretty much taken care of, and and uh, you know, at the time I was you know twenty nine, so I wasn't I wasn't exactly a kid anymore, but I was still treated as 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 one of the uh, astronaut kids, and and uh, you know allowed to to take a tour and that sort of thing. So and, and treated really well by NASA, I have to I have to say. And my sister was there and various other family members. And, and, uh, again, you know, all the stress adds up because my mom's got to look after the, the members of extended family and our neighbors and our, our friends who were there. And all the while in the back of her mind, she's waiting to see, uh, whether the, uh, the rocket's actually going to make it up out of the, uh, the, the lower atmosphere there and, and, uh, whether my dad's going to be okay. And so it, it was difficult uh, for her and there was some crying involved and, and, uh, I'm sure some sleepless nights. All right. So this question is is kind of a <laughs> will be a fun one. Um there have been several depictions of what astronaut wives were like in popular media, you know, movies, books, television, whatever. Are there any misconceptions or perhaps misinformation you'd like to clear up about how things actually were versus how they've been portrayed? Uh I don't know that I can clear up a lot of them, but I can tell you, I do recall as a child, the women, very powerful, very strong, opinionated women. And I do recall there were some pretty serious chat sessions with the ladies um, that I don't think anybody would have expected. And, And actually, those conversations still happen today. I, I think it's been a couple of years, but there was always an astronaut wives reunion. Oh, nice! And right. um, I had the honor of attending one. I can tell you at that one, the camaraderie and the conversation was pretty eye-opening. I was blown away. I won't talk about any specifics, but I will tell you that, you know, behind the scenes, they had voices. They were very smart, strong women and they played the role they fought it but they played the role they played the role they were supposed to play uh but i i would say when they were being casual it was kind of a different situation when that when the cameras weren't rolling it was different so i i think the biggest misconception is they were all just kind of smiling housewives no mm -mm, not really a lot of them you know, once they were out of the limelight, they were able to explore their strengths and their courage and their intelligence, if you will. I mean, they just all became amazing women. They were amazing women and they became even more amazing. I said, I, I went to an ash. I took my mother because she was too um, not feeling comfortable going alone. She was too old. And I, it was eye opening. It was it was crazy. And, I, and just talking to them. Harriet Isley, I remember having a conversation with her and my mouth would just drop. I was like, wow. Mm. Um, Dottie Duke was always just nice as pie. Dottie Duke is Dottie Duke. She, she, <laughs> she, 
she's what you see is what you get with her. She is literally that person. I, I think the biggest misconception is that they were all just smiling housewives. There was a lot of substance there. And I don't think a lot of them got a fair shake. And I'm not sure a lot of them still would talk about it because it wasn't about them. It was about their husbands. I'm probably in the minority here, but I think Hollywood, you know, Apollo 13, for example, does, I think does a pretty good job of, portraying Marilyn Lovell and Mary Hayes and, you know, the lives of those, those folks generally. I mean, it's a great movie. My parents liked it too. So it must've had some ring of authenticity. Yeah. Things were a little neater than they, in those houses than they were in our houses and our house, certainly, you know, we, you know, our, our house was always kind of a crazy place. My dad was big into wildlife rehabilitation. So we'd have hawks and snakes and things and my my mom, amongst her other duties, my dad was gone, which she frequently was. She she'd be responsible for feeding the the hawk or the owls or <laughs> you know the snakes or whatever. And she, that was so. I just say things were just messier. There's a great scene in Apollo 13 where one of Marilyn Lovell's daughters come out and she dressed for Halloween and she wants to you know her her mother thinks she's going to be a cheerleader but she's actually going to be a hippie and and uh, she comes out of her room you know and she's in a fight with her mom and. Her little sister says, you know, she's not wearing a bra. You can see everything. And of course, she's just wearing a T-shirt and a vest. But, you know, and, and uh, Marilyn Lovell says, you know, what about you, Jim? Can she wear this? And he says, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> that that yeah. seemed like a typical astronaut dad. Uh, yeah. But that I'm sure that situation was played out not only in our house, but, you know, back in those days. So I think the movies do a pretty good job. And For All Mankind does a good job, too. Yeah, I, I think for the most part, there's one series which will shall remain unnamed <laughs> that I think did a poor job. But for the most part, the movies were very respectful. And th those women deserve that respect. They deserve to have their story told in a way they were comfortable telling the story, not in a way somebody wanted to fictionalize it or romanticize it or anything. They were women and they were carrying the weight of the world, taking care of their families alone. They needed to be represented as, yes, they were happy, smiling people, but they were parents and they were people and they were strong women. And, and, and I do think the movies have done a decent job for the most part. Yeah. Mm. So we've had a question from one of our patron subscribers, Gillian Casey, and it's a perfect follow-up to something that Jessica has just said. So maybe this is one for you, Jessica. Uh -huh. Did it ever feel like you were living in a single parent household growing up with your father's away so often? Do you think your mother's had more agency and independence than the average American wife did at the time? That, yeah, I would say yes, they did. And um, I know I can say for certain that my mother did. Never resented my father being gone. Never, I don't think she ever resented him being gone. It was the nature of the beast, but she absolutely did. She raised six kids on her own and she did an incredible job. Wow, and yeah. she really formed us. We got a lot from my father. He taught us a lot, but mom taught us a lot. And she made sure we were not isolated. She made sure we were included in everything that was going on because her kids are part of the process and part of the part of the program. And she stood up for us a lot. We we did a lot of stuff that felt normal. I know now that it was not normal, but I know that I felt normal 
because mom said it was okay. Mom said we could do this stuff. And mom made sure we participated in the entire process. All right. So one of our Patreon subscribers, John Wisenhunt, has asked the following question. So military families have to move quickly when the parent gets a new assignment. But as an astronaut, you all stayed in Houston for years. Do you think this relative stability helped offset the stresses of being a military astronaut family? Yeah, I think so, because my brothers and sisters all experienced the moving before 66. I was I I was stable at 66 in 66. So I didn't I didn't have to experience that upheaval, but I know it did was a little taxing on mom and the other kids. But I I I I think it was it absolutely stabilized our lives for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. This is one consolation of of you know being assigned to the uh, or being selected for the astronaut corps. You got to go live in you you got to go live in Houston or you or you had to go live in Houston depending on your perspective. <laughs> yeah, I was plucked from California. I had to go to Houston. Like uh, right, uh. yeah, <laughs> and it, it helped because obviously in the military you're moving every year or two, and you know we, the wife of course has to handle the logistics of of moving everybody, packing up, moving the dog and and the kids, and then getting them settled in into school and trying to make friends and and uh, trying to make sure your kids can make friends and. John, that's a good question. It was a, it was a big consolation of being in the program, and you know, I, I got to I got to where I've had the had the same set of creepy friends for years and years, and still have some of them. So uh, I was, I'm grateful <laughs> right. for that. So a lot of us have heard how hard or difficult it was to be the spouse of an astronaut. So tell us some good memories about you and your family. You know how how better related to your father's mission. Was there anything you know particularly exciting or? kind of positive that you remember? Bruce and I lived in an, an amazing neighborhood. The parents would open the front door and let us go. And I think <laughs> we were gone all day, like, and then we'd come back. So we were with our friends and we were active and we were always doing things. The positive part of it, I think, is just that we didn't have a father and we did get to participate with him, mowing the lawn, put the tool back where you got it from, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Right. But as... Kids, the positive part was we were just in a safe environment, regardless of what your father did in the program. We were in a very safe environment, and we just had this eclectic group of people around us all the time. And it was, uh, you know, we got social skills from that, I think. I think Mm. we actually learned how to behave and be a kind person by dealing with all different types of people, kids and adults. We were thrust into adult situations where we had to behave. We were seen, but we had to behave. We knew the consequences of not behaving. <laughs> that was pretty uh, swift. The positive experiences were just literally having a, the best childhood I think I could have ever had with amazing friends and, and people around us. Just I, I just super fond memories of get everybody getting together all the time big extended families big extended family events just good times yeah so uh, you know a couple of different uh answers to that for the wives and, I, and i'll talk about my mom in particular my, my mother uh, was a small town girl from new jersey she didn't particularly ever want or or care about any lunar injections or or uh <laughs> or missions to mars that sort of thing and and she was always ambivalent about uh, the 
possibility that the the spotlight would would be on her or that she would have to live up to some sort of a notion of what the ideal astronaut wife was or god forbid that our her kids would be held up as some sort of model for how <laughs> kids should act because yeah we were awful yeah <laughs> but having said that you know and she had to deal with all the things that the astronaut wives had to deal with which was uh, worrying that, uh, A, that her husband was going to be killed. I mean, you know, the, the wives of fighter pilots and jet pilots had to worry about that anyway. But but uh, in this case, if a husband was going to be killed, it was going to be very public and it was going to be uh, very awful. And she had to worry about what happens when that occurs. What if I'm there? What if I'm watching that? Am I going to do something that embarrasses myself? Am I going to then be exposed to this sort of great oceanic well of grief that causes me to do something that will i will lose my composure that i'll be like you know jackie kennedy climbing back over the the trunk of the car to try to retrieve her husband's part of her husband's body you know for women of that era composure and looking like you knew what you were doing uh, was was super important and i think she was terrified of of sort of finding herself on the stage of a, a greek tragedy and so she was very worried about that those wives they were pretty amazing because, you know, they, they were able to do all kinds of things. And they, you know, the analogy, I guess, is like the duck on the pond. You see the duck sort of gliding across the pond while underneath its legs are frantically, frantically moving. And I mentioned this to, to Emily, but I always felt like, you know, my mom was you know, two carpools away from crazy. You know, she was, uh, <laughs> uh, there were so many things the wives had to do. They had to yep. run the household, they had to get kids to school. They had to yep. look after themselves and, make the meals and wash the grades and uh, be there for their husbands. And, and, you know, when the husbands were off, whatever else they were doing, they were typically doing exactly what they wanted to do. I mean, they'd always wanted to fly. They'd always wanted to be astronauts. They had groupies. They, you know, they were fawned upon by the press and NASA treated them very well. And the wives got very little of that. They were often worried about what their husbands were up to. And the husbands weren't around very much. I mean, I read I read something that, uh, an interview with Betty Grissom not too long ago. Well, the interview was actually from a long time ago when I read it recently. And she said that she figured at one point Gus Grissom was home maybe 60 days out of the year. And that's not how marriage typically works. Um, to make it worse, the culture was changing. I mean, no fault mm-hmm. divorce was becoming a thing and kids were starting to get into drugs. And uh, we were finding out horrible things about what was going on in Vietnam. And, and so these women were, were, uh, you know they were they were having to deal with all kinds of things that, uh, and it's uh, it's a wonder there aren't more stories about uh, the the women checking themselves into clinics of various sorts or or you know going on rampages. I, I mean I, I think there was always that possibility uh, uh, in our family. I don't know if that answers your question, but we're talking about consolation. We're saying good things about about the life. Yes. For my mother, it was one thing, it was meeting John Wayne. And I think it was in 1969, <laughs> uh, they all went out to, uh, after after the Apollo 11 mission, uh, you know, as you may recall, there was this, yeah. this three-city celebration. You know, they took their astronauts to New York City and then they flew them to Chicago and finally to L.A. the same day. And how there these celebrations and President Nixon had a state dinner out in, in Los Angeles. Uh, I say state, it may also have been a steak dinner and and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom to the astronauts. And a lot of the astronauts were there and various showbiz people were there. Werner von Braun was there and Red Skelton and Spiro Agnew, you know, that would have been a fun table to be at. <laughs> I think that's when she met John Wayne. I'm not sure, but that's memory that she always had. And, and she well, got to do a lot yeah. of fun stuff. You know, she got to go fly on the Aeroflot when it was first becoming an airline that went to the West and, and, uh, 
so yeah, there were some cool things you got to do. It, was it worth it? I, I don't know. You'd have to, my mom's passed on now. I, I think most days she would say it was right. worth it. Some days she might have totally. said, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> might have stayed in Newark. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jess, I, I want to bring up something you kind of mentioned earlier about how the wives were a very close-knit group, um, particularly your mother was was part of that um, tight-knit group. As a, a and you were a lot younger than yeah. Bruce when you when your dad flew, so so you've got a different perspective. And I, I'm wondering at what point or if you ever sat down with your mother to have that conversation of what was it like, and and can you ever have that conversation or or, or is a parent always going to be a little bit closed off to having that conversation because it may have been as as, as Bruce has just pointed out so close to being crazy in so many ways um did she maintain that composure all the way through it or did she ever let her guard down with you and say do you know what that was hard yeah she 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 did later in life and especially after i had the privilege of escorting her to the astronaut wives reunion i learned a lot we spent a lot of time together which we didn't traditionally do and she started sharing. She started talking. And I I started asking questions. And then it was even cooler at the reunion. I was able to sit with these women and just have a conversation. It was a closed door conversation. And they were talking. And they were not shy about how tough it was. They were you know, they were those mama grizzlies too. They were they were worried about the women. Um, like Bruce's mom, they were worried that those women needed a support infrastructure because they just didn't like the limelight. They didn't like any of it. They just did it because they had to be, you know, smile and be proud. And they weren't. She she did start sharing a lot of it. I I probably I probably wouldn't share, but these women. They talk. They're a t- like I said. They're a tight group, man. And they, when they get together, they throw down and they have good conversations. And um, she did start sharing stuff. She actually wrote some stuff down for me too, and and sent it. Started sending me stories because I said, "My, I, you know, we don't talk a lot, so you need to like share." Mm-hmm. There's a lot to say, and I don't know that we'll ever know the whole story mm-hmm. behind the. Uh, yeah. the courage and strength of these women that were behind these men because it was a lot and it, you know, a different world. Women didn't have to carry shoulder so much that and they shouldered everything from child rearing to buying the house to cooking and cleaning and everything without a husband around. And so I hope that answers. I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, it's, she did start talking and I did appreciate it. I have such a profound, found gratitude for that because these women were just moms to me they were just moms that's how i knew them and then to see them as women uh strong women was really awesome and to hear some of the stories and hear some of the heartache and heartbreak you know i I never knew the full story behind beth williams and she was a good friend of our family we were tight and i didn't learn about a lot about her until much later she was just Beth you know I she was just Beth with that and 
badass woman right there. She is awesome. There's there's a lot of stories out there. I, I just I would hope that one day we could hear them. But equally, if they remain private, then that's absolutely fine as well. Which mm-hmm. is yeah, uh, exactly. It's one of those you know. For, yeah, of course, for people like Emily and I, it's, would be wonderful to find out this stuff. But it's equally, it's none of our business. Um, yeah, but we just yeah. ask the questions, yeah. of course. <laughs> right, right, right. So I, I don't expect either of you to know what it's like to be a. a a spouse of an astronaut these days, but if you could recommend something to be different for the current crop compared to what it was like for for your your mums, what would what would you want to be different? Less media coverage, less limelight, or or is there something perhaps else that you think? I wish my mum didn't have to go through that. Mm. Wow, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I I don't know what the Current spouses go through, or, uh, and uh, I don't know whether to include, you know, uh, suborbital missions from, from <laughs> Blue Origin. Or, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, right. I, I think it's changed quite a bit. I, I, you know, I, I, I think my mom probably could have used some counseling uh, up to, during, <laughs> maybe even after the, the launches she saw. I don't know of anything other than that. I mean, you know, NASA would assign the astronauts to sort of go around with the family and the spouses and that was that was helpful and and uh you know maybe some maybe some counseling i, I guess that's the only thing i can think of yeah I, I i that's a really it's a great question but it's a very difficult question because i don't have any other perspective right but mm-hmm. i i would say counseling is probably a really big thing that i wish there was more therapeutic interaction from nasa with the spouses and the families i think I mean, we all got assigned reps and we had conversations, but it was kind of all behave, mm. smile. Actually, one thing that astronaut spouses of, or, of my mom's group or generation had to deal with also was this notion that if your your husband did die in a rocket accident on one of his missions, there wasn't going to be much use for you. NASA wasn't yeah. going to have much to do with you. Yes. And this was pointed up uh, when when Betty Grissom filed her lawsuit in 1971 against North American Rockwell, yeah, at the time she she sued for ten million dollars. At the time, it was the biggest product liability suit that had ever been brought uh, in the U.S. at least, and and uh, it was a sort of a very divisive thing to do. Uh, I know my my uh, my dad was aghast. Uh, I think my mom was more sympathetic. But it was seen as as sort of a, a blow against uh, against NASA, at least as much as it was against North America and Rockwell. Part of her lawsuit was dismissed on statute of limitations grounds, but but another part survived, and she I think she eventually settled with with the company for three hundred fifty thousand dollars or something like that. And and uh, the the wives of the other astronauts, as I understand it, didn't file suit, but actually were awarded roughly similar settlements. Maybe North American Rockwell was afraid that, that it wouldn't be sued. And of course, it's not good publicity to be sued by astronaut right. wives. But, but mm-hmm. Betty Grissom, you know, she went on to write a book and she said, look, after this happened, NASA had no use for me. And some of the astronauts had no use for me. That's correct. And no to hell with them. And so this was something that if you, if you had a husband who was going to be flying, you had to worry about, hey, secondary to my husband's life, what happens to me? You know, yeah. where do I go? And. So that was another thing that sort of weighed on people's mind, or weighed on some of these spouses' minds. I think I hate to I hate to jump in, but I maybe it's because 
having those people around reminded them of death. Does that make sense? That's messed up yeah. in a way because I'm like, when someone dies, yeah. you should it should be the yeah. opposite. You should be supporting that the person who's grieving. But I think their attitude was, well, this person reminds us of this dead person, and it's like, what? I mean, I'm sure there were some of the, some NASA folks were very yeah. helpful and others maybe weren't, but I, I suspect there was some of that attitude that, you know, in fact, Betty Grissom said, Hey, there was some trip that, uh, some of the, the wives were going to go on and they said, uh, let's not bring the widow. We won't have fun, you know, which is, who knows if that's true, but it, but it's, it, it's sort of something that I, I know my, my mom would have thought of and that would have, would have worried her. So what are some things that you'd like the listeners to know and remember about the real astronaut wives. They were people. <laughs> well, as opposed to the, the movie wives or the, <laughs> the real, the real, the real housewives. The real ones, but not the not the movie yeah. or TV or not even necessarily the book ones. This makes me think of a new TV show idea that the real housewives of El Lago. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, I, I was gonna, I was gonna bring this up. Jessica and I live in, in El Lago, as you point out, but but uh, the the real astronauts, the the, the high class astronauts, lived over in Timber Cove, and yeah, they did. Uh, NASA Bay and, and Timber and, Cove, you know, they were like, <laughs> I know you, you know, Jessica, you just had to walk down the street to that boat landing where you lived, and oh, of course yeah. we had a simple, and and you could look across the lake there, and you just knew that you know John Glenn <laughs> and Jim Wubble and those guys were out. In their boats and you know <laughs> slathering suntan lotion on their bodies and there's so the music true. playing you could almost hear the music you know we'd stand yeah. there like jay gatsby looking out over long island sound you know. so true and, uh, so true uh, and we were sort of the low class uh yeah. families yeah we could dream exactly we slumbed a bit in our day that they had like a bougie astronaut division that's hysterical i was not i was not aware yeah. of this yeah no it was a bit timber cove Timber Cove was the Beverly Hills. Yeah, that was yeah. the swanky like, yeah. part. That was because it was across <laughs> the lake, very isolated. I they had a pool over there that was shaped like a Gemini capsule, I think. Or oh, capsule. I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were, so they were real proud of themselves. And of course, you know, it was hard to swim laps because people would go into the escape tower and they'd run into each other. <laughs> that sort of thing. I'm that's kidding about funny. that. Oh, okay. For a second, I was like, really? That's funny. Well, we ended up with we ended up with Neil Armstrong, so I think we we trumped the Timber Cove guys anyway. We did good. I yeah, our side did good. Our side of the lake did good. I didn't know there was a bougie area, but that makes sense. There's always a bougie area. So, like, there's always like the regular division and the bougie division. And like, go back to the question. I got a little off topic. Oh, sorry. No, I got off topic because <laughs> I, I, I was I was thinking about like I did not know they had a bougie area. Wow. <laughs> Tim Cove. now you know yeah now I know now I'm aware now I'm gonna go hang out there because it's where all the risk. I'll get the good candy there oh, they'll, they'll, yeah they'll check your ID I'm afraid they'll check yeah, my they ID yeah <laughs> uh yeah so you were asking about you know so we have the out of JSC they have the, the grove with the, the trees for the astronauts who died and yeah that's great but th there needs to be some sort of monument for the women the spouses generally, and you know, I, I would suggest maybe a steel girder, you know, bent in the middle, you know, called stress or something like that. Because oh man, that's you know, a, that, that, I agree. That, Let's do this. That's a yeah, great that's, idea. The women should be getting something as well. They were all part of this. Yeah. They, oh, they bent, but they never broke. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that's it. You're on to oh. something there. 
You, you should be an author, Bruce. Some of this yeah. stuff is. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on <laughs> <Right>. it. Right. <laughs> wow. I did want to say one thing. Like most women, they were the astronauts' wives were smart and tough and gentle and did much more than was expected of them. We didn't deserve them, and frankly, in most cases, neither did their husbands. True. Mm. No. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, no, I'm just I'm, I'm bloviating there. No, but. no, it's. It it was something. I mean, everybody was mom. We were all a tribe, and that's they were the ones that held us together. They were the ones that brought the really cool food, you know, to the launch parties. And like Dion Stafford's mom always brought, I think they call it this chocolate scrub cake because the missions would always get scrubbed when she brought the cake. And oh no, we yeah. just, they were. It was just this collective being of mom. They were the strength behind those men and those families. They they were it. They deserve credit. Yes. Yeah. No. Those are those are those are great times for sure. All right. It's, it's great that you that you both think of it in terms of being great times as well. Because I, I don't know. It just feels like uh, it's often portrayed as being so traumatic. So to hear that actually it was uh, it was good. It's good. It's what we wanted. Yeah, we wanted to hear <laughs> yeah. some positive things because as you know that the the metaphor of the the steel girder with the you know bent but not broken yeah. that's a really good metaphor because i'm sure i mean the stress Absolutely. i can't imagine this you know i have a husband and the idea of him going on top of a rocket absolutely horrifies me and i've i've threatened before like man yeah, i'm gonna man. sign up <laughs> on one of them commercial missions and my husband and i'm thinking oh my husband will support that and Steve's like, no, you're not doing that. And I'm like, why? And, and then I realized <laughs> because he's absolutely terrible. No, but and then I'm like, because he doesn't want me to die. You know, that's because because I, one time I was joking with him and it was like, I don't want. And he was serious. He's like, I don't want you to do any of that stuff, you know. And I know you love really? space, but uh-huh. I don't want you to do that. And then I realized it was because yeah. and, and, you know, there was that part of me is like, he's trying to hold me back. And then. But no, and then I realized, no, <laughs> then I realized he doesn't want me to get killed, you know, and he doesn't want to be the one who has to watch yeah. that and be like, oh, yeah, she just died in public, you know, so, so I can't uh, imagine yeah. as yeah. a, as a, you know, a wife with kids, oh, you know, watching that. So, yeah, that's a great, that's a good metaphor. Right. Well, Dave, I know it's late over there for you. Are, are you, uh, uh, can you put together your thoughts about whether you'd go into space or whether Lucy would be okay with you doing it? Or, um, I, yeah, I think she'd be alright with it because she knows it's it's. I think she knows it's it's what I really want, and therefore I I feel like she would, um, be fairly supportive of it, even though she'd probably be very scared. I think what was interesting is is we spoke to Chris Sembroski last week, who was on Inspiration Four, so he's been up on the one of the SpaceX Dragons, so fairly recent astronaut. And uh, I know from watching a documentary about that that you know his his wife was very scared, and 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 he brought it up in in the interview that uh, they were very aware that the families didn't want to be like the Challenger families where they were on display. Oh God, yes, horrific. You know, and they were very much like aware of the risks, and if it goes wrong, we want to deal with this privately. We don't want to have to go through that. But, but, but certainly, watching the document, Inspiration for a documentary, and 
she was she was petrified. She, you know, she afterwards she said, she, I, "I I don't know if I really want him to do this, but I know it means a lot to him." And I, right. I think it's um, I think it's a different conversation these days than than it would have been in in the fifties and sixties and seventies for sure. Um, yep. I mean, Emily, personally, I would love to see Steve go to space. I think that would be really entertaining. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I'd, I'd like him to, to go to space, on... too. Sometimes I would. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's awful. He's going to listen to this and be like, I hate. Why did she say this crap? But no. Um, I, I think Steve, if I got, you know, if I ever, I don't think this will ever happen. But if I were to got, get the opportunity to go to space, I think he would ultimately be like, Oh, okay. But I think he would be petrified. I think he would be like absolutely, absolutely petrified, you know, so, but he wouldn't want to show it to people. He would just sort of, cause I know how he is. He's one of those people. He's just not going to say it, but he'll be inside. He'll be petrified, but I don't know. I think Steve's a secret space nerd. He just doesn't. I think he likes it more than he lets on. Oh, absolutely. I think he absolutely. likes it. Does. He, and he yeah. knows a lot, too. Like, sometimes we'll be talking. I'm like, how does he know this? And then I'm like, of course he knows this. He, he since, you know, yeah. of course he knows this. He overhears, <laughs> he he overhears everything, you know. Yeah. Bruce, I want to spin that back at you. So, obviously, you asked how, how Lucy would feel if, if I went. But the two of you both experienced being a family member firsthand. And you and you witnessed your parents be the spouse or the astronaut. Uh, Does that experience of seeing that happen make you want to or not be either the astronaut or the spouse even more? How would you like when you're talking to someone like me who's saying I would go? Would you say, yeah, actually, you probably don't want to because <laughs> you're going to put your your family through this, that, and the other? Or what does it make you say? Yeah, it's really cool. I, I, I support that. How, how does it, you, the fact that you've got a first-hand experience, does that change your perspective on, on that question? Jessica? <laughs> well, I, I mean... That's a tough one. You know, I, I, I kind of thought it might be kind of cool to go, but I'm kind of chicken. I don't know if I want to do what Dad did. Strap myself to a bomb and... I, but I think if uh, my partner wanted to do it, I'd say right on. Let's let's do it. Let's let's do it. You you're gonna love it. Amazing. But I, I probably I, I'm just too chicken. I would probably say yeah, I'll do it, no problem. And then time comes, I'm like no, really, I don't want to do it. Bruce. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd I'd go in a minute, and I'd, I'd like to announce publicly that I'm available and. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, right. I, I thought about reaching out to I've, Bezos. Going, hey, brother. I've got a resting heart rate of about forty-seven. Uh, wow, that's good, though. Uh, Holy snipes! I'm in good shape. Uh, and and uh, if anyone's interested, uh, I'd, I'd be happy to go. I'll I'll take pictures if, if that would be helpful. Please, uh, there you what, go. What what uh, what if Patty turned around and said she wanted to go? How would you uh, feel no, about can't that? Go. No, she's too much to do. <laughs> <Too> much to <laughs> do. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, she's uh she uh, so somehow or other we managed to replicate the whole astronaut thing <laughs> uh, for no good reason. But she uh she does way more than her share, so she couldn't go. I'm afraid. Sorry, <laughs> and, uh, sorry, NASA. What if one one of your your daughters wanted to go? How would you feel about that? I think that would be catastrophic for the entire space program. <laughs> so, no, I would not allow that to happen. <laughs> Perfect. And on that note, on I think we should know. Oh my goodness gracious. Just a vehicle for space memes.
It's Space and Things with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. All right. Well, I don't know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where to start either. That was one of those interviews that that had just a a bit of everything, really. I laughed, I cried, I smiled. I thought deep thoughts about life, love, and loss. Uh, I think we really have to give a lot of thanks to Jessica and Bruce for their honesty there and for opening up. Talking about your family for a brunch of strangers can't be easy. And uh, that really was amazing. Um, I love that Jessica and her mother, Joanne, got to spend those moments together as Joanne got older. Going to the reunion, National Wives, just amazing. I love that story and the fact they got to do that is is wonderful. And I, I love that the Bruce within that was so open about the struggles of, of Bernice, his mother, the, the the two carpool rides away from crazy. That was the quote that really stood out for me. And, and, and perhaps it highlights how hard it must've been for those women. Uh, I, I think it's worth bringing up at this point, some stories about um, two of the other Apollo wives. Um, I'm going to put a trigger warning here maybe a little bit upsetting for some. So feel free to skip ahead 30 seconds if if you need to. So um, Patricia White, who was the wife of Ed White, um, Ed White obviously died in the Apollo 1 fire. She she never really recovered from that. Um, Although she did remarry, it said that she she was the same after the fire and and unfortunately took her own life in 1983. Susan Borman, who was the the wife of Frank Borman, suffered from depression and now she covered it well but um, it, it later came out that she was suffering from those things and it's well reported that, that Frank acknowledged that it, you know his focus on on the mission and uh, of Project Apollo contributed to that they, they stayed married right until her death in, in 2021 uh, and worked through those problems together uh, similar to, to Jim and Marilyn uh, some someone uh, a, a couple that that I personally put on a on a pedestal. Perhaps we should never do that, but um, certainly what I do. So both of those stories highlight just how severe the pressures of being an astronaut spouse were back then. Um, I think that the death of Marilyn Lovell last week certainly gives us an opportunity to try and address the fact that we don't give the women standing next to the men of Apollo enough credit for the roles they played in making it happen and not just the roles but the toll it took on them and on their own lives uh, personally I, I really do like that idea that Bruce had for the memorial still Gerda I mean that was a fantastic ma- metaphor yeah absolutely fantastic and plus the 50s and 60s uh, obviously not a, a great time for women's rights but I think what Bruce said you know the women had to be very poised on the outside they had to keep control of themselves. And that was a really big thing in the 50s and 60s with women in general. You couldn't have a crazy moment and go nuts and start screaming or anything like that. I think nowadays women are more, in the United States, are more encouraged, I hope, to to sort of, you know, okay, we can go to therapy. We can, we're encouraged to do certain things, you know, to get those things out. You know, whereas back then, if you went to therapy, oh, my God, you're crazy. That had a stigma attached to it. That does speak to what American culture was like and how it sort of changed over the years. And, you know, in certain ways, 
these women like Jessica brought up, you know, these women were a big support to each other and they they had to be very strong because they were probably dealing with so much under the surface that they but on the outside they had to be, you know, poised without, you know, your hair perfect, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, completely. I mean, Annie Glenn, who was married to John Glenn, she, she had a stutter. That was well hidden because you couldn't show any vulnerability as a, an astronaut's wife. Also, just just for those people who aren't aware, um, Jess brought up uh, Beth Williams a few times. Yes. And that was uh, the wife of Clifton Williams, uh, who was one of the group three astronauts um, who died in a plane crash uh, in 1967. 67, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, at the age of 35. I think 66 or 67, yeah. I think 67. Yeah, that was a bad year. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, eight, eight months, 10 months after Apollo 1 and, and, and another um, astronaut of that community dying and another woman that would have to get get that support from that network... And, I mean, as well, I'm I'm, I'm fairly sure that, that um, Beth gave birth after Clifton died as well to their second yes. child, which is next level in, ugh, a craziness and can't imagine those emotions. Um, but just to, for those of you who aren't aware, that was uh, who was being referred to there. But that, what a wonderful, wonderful conversation. I'm really glad we did that. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually sorry that it took... The, the death of Marion Lovell for us to, to 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 think about having a conversation like yeah. this because I feel like we should have done this before. I agree. Yeah, I think we should have done this probably uh, way earlier, but but we've done it now, and I I think that the discussion we just had was awesome, and it was something that is really overdue, and that it was really obviously needed, and I I think our listeners will be surprised in a way, from listening to it. I think that, you know, they'll be surprised and hopefully they'll find out something they didn't know before about these, you know, amazing women who really kept everything together. Yeah. Yeah, the, the story that, that really got got me in there in particular uh, was was Bruce bringing up the idea that um, the thing that scared the women, one of the things that scared the women was that NASA wouldn't have a use for them. And that experience that Betty Grissom yeah. had... Uh, and what she expressed in her book, that to me was really quite powerful um, and, and was something yeah. that I hadn't considered before. And I think that's another thing that, that you know, is worth having that conversation just to hear that uh, and, and earn a, a new level of yeah. respect for those women for that reason alone, not withholding the, the importance of anything yeah. else that was discussed about there. Yeah, I think the culture at NASA really changed between, you know, Apollo 1 and Columbia. Like, I think around Columbia, they, I think the NASA culture dealt with it a little differently. I think they were probably more supportive to the, you know, the families and the, and the spouses during that time. I, I, I've gotten the feeling they were a little more, you know, supportive, you know, but I feel with Apollo 1, they just tried to get the wives out of the picture. And that kind of also tells you a lot of what death was dealt with, like, back in the 60s. You know, it was kind of like this scary thing and we we just don't want to talk about it whereas i think as the decades advanced things changed a little bit you know and i think nasa became aware you know we've got to deal with this issue that that is a very real issue that can happen during space flight we got to deal with this a lot differently because the the old way does not work 
post Challenger, they they did move the families away. As Bruce said, they were on a rooftop rather than being in the public gallery for launches, which I, I think was, yeah. was certainly a step. I, w- I would certainly recommend people listen to Clayton Anderson's podcast, uh, the the Ordinary Spaceman podcast. Every episode, he's interviewing another person in his life, and there's two or two or three episodes where it's just him and his wife sitting there having a conversation. So this is a, a shuttle astronaut around the the, the the era of Columbia, and we we had. Uh, Clayton on it so at one point I think we kind of talked about this as well but they talk really honestly about what happened in Columbia and how the families were, were, were treated but also how that affected the family when Clayton then launched and I think it's if you want to hear a more modern account of what it was like noughties era shuttle era later shuttle era I think that's a fantastic listen um, when you've literally got the astronaut and their wife having a conversation, it's really fascinating. And I was moved to tears listening to that conversation. So um, I, I will post a link to that in the show notes. And, and as always, I will post all relevant links about this interview in the show notes, uh, which is www.spaceandthingspodcast.com. You'll find them on there, look in the archive, or click on the link that will take you directly to the page relevant to this episode. If you look for that link in the description of this podcast, um, within your podcast provider, I know that sounds convoluted, but I can't think of a better way of saying it. Anyway, you'll find the show notes, uh, which will include links to social media and other things, including Bruce's book, which is a must-read, absolute must-read. Also, uh, head out, head over to patreon.com if you want to watch the full unedited video of that interview. Um, some people like doing that. And also, there's a couple of questions which I edited out for time purposes, so we call them bonus questions, and, and they're over on that. There's a separate video, so you don't have to watch the whole thing to find the ones that I took out. So head over to patreon.com forward slash space and things for that. Better than eating broccoli, it's space and things with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. So, Emily, what caught your eye in space flight this last week? Just, really, just one thing uh, Crew Six reentry re entered right over my house. So, I saw your video. <laughs> Amazing. So cool. Yeah, it was freaking awesome. I went outside at the correct time and there it was. Big yellowish streak coming overhead and I was like, oh my God, that's it. Sonic boom? Five minutes later, we heard faint sonic booms because by that point it was about in Jacksonville. In that point, Jacksonville's a little ways out from here. It's probably six hours, I'm guessing, from here. Oh my God, it was freaking awesome. I've never seen a re-entry before. Every I, everybody I hope gets the chance to see that. I just feel a little bit selfish because you know I walked right outside of my porch and saw, <laughs> like I just go outside as one does and just there it is, you know. And it was really neat to see the other side of a of a space mission because I'm used to seeing launches, which is I'm, I feel like I'm bragging, like yeah, I'm used to seeing launches. You know, it's not a big deal. But I live in Florida, so you know I'm used to seeing you know space launches, but seeing a reentry was something brand new for me i don't even know if i've seen a shuttle re-entry honestly i've heard a shuttle re-entry plenty of times back in the day because you could hear them coming over here but i don't think i've ever i ever went outside to see one but this was just spectacular and obviously i have uh i took some very amateurish video of it but it was just mind-blowing so that's really what's been on my mind this week amazing yeah that was crazy it was crazy so what about you dave what have you been looking at 
Just a good week for headlines. SpaceX recorded their 60-second orbital flight in a calendar year, and we're only at the beginning of September. That's a new record for them, and I'm guessing for any company, as far as I'm aware. And we laughed a couple of years ago when Elon said that he was going to do 100 in a year. We were like, yeah, that's well, years away from that. Well, maybe not. Anyway, uh, Ingenuity, the little helicopter on Mars, had its 56th flight. Lovely. Uh, Ariane 6, the European's new rocket, had a pretty important test. This rocket's been delayed. It had a pretty important test this week, and it was successful. Apparently, we're going to find out when the first launch is going to be at the end of October. There's going to be a press conference. So hopefully, we'll know more about Ariane 6 uh, and its first launch. Fantastic. India had another good week. They launched their solar observatory. Um, so the Indian space program is really, really, really getting a lot of achievements ticked yeah, up at the moment. They're heating so that's, up. That's Big really time. exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I sent an email to them this week to see if we can get someone on the podcast. Hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, no reply yet. But I'm, sure, would, that, I'm yeah. sure they're very busy right now. Yeah, they've got a little bit going on at the yeah. moment. But we would love, I, I, man, I, we would love that. That would be incredible to talk to the people of that program. And the, and the other thing the other thing that caught my eye um which is perhaps not such a good good news is that a Soviet satellite collided with another Soviet satellite or something else and Ooh. this is about 400 500 miles up so not in a place where it's going to decay anytime soon. So we saw a really bad case of space debris causing problems and of course when these things collide you get a lot more dangerous debris so um obviously we spoke about this at length and we continue to bring this up but yeah i i will post links to those stories for you to read in the show notes so check them out or mispronunciation is entertainment it's space and things Right, thanks so much for joining us this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. It may sound like we've rushed through the tops and the tails, but it really was because that interview, which we, we always do the interview first, and that was such a good interview and long, we didn't want to have to take oh, yeah. too much out. So we kind of have rushed through the other bits, but uh, we'll be back next week with some more. Um, I've got a few trips away coming up over the next couple of months, so we're trying to record a few episodes a week right now. So hopefully I've not let anything slip within this edit, but do continue to let us know what you think. If you listen on Spotify, please leave your comments underneath the episode on the on the app. There's a Q&A box, and I've, I've finally figured out how to read those comments. I've finally found out where they go. So if, if you're a Spotify user and you do that, um, I can now read, and I, I think I can even reply. I'm not sure, but, but perhaps if you leave a good comment on there, similar to Apple iTunes reviews, uh, we, we will read them out if they're, if they're worthy of being read out, uh, good or bad. We'd love to get your feedback, so please do continue to get in contact. Yes, and please give us a review if you haven't done so already. Look for the option to leave a rating or a review within your podcast app. It really does help us pop out among the many science podcasts that exist. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you need. Things in space, space and things. Okay.